0: Greetings in Christian love to each of you, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to be in the house of the Lord and to look into the Word together. I look forward to these times. I also welcome those of you who are visiting with us this morning. It's good to see you here. I invite you to turn to James chapter 3 as we continue our study through the book of James. We have made it to chapter 3. And in the last message from uh, the book of James, we looked at the subject of faith and works in the latter part of chapter 2. And we were reminded that a faith that works is a faith that works. <laughs> a faith that is actually physically doing something and revealing itself in the outer ways of life is, is evidence that there is something alive and well within us. And immediately on the heels of that passage, James writes some rather harsh words about our terrible tongue. And you'll understand here as we read through this, and and more than likely this passage is not new to you, but you'll be be reminded once again that this is not pretty, (laughs) and this won't leave you with warm and fuzzy feelings. And yet... His vivid word pictures and illustrations drive the point home to us again this morning. And that is, a faith that works will be characterized by sanctified speech. A faith that works will be characterized by sanctified speech. And now the truth is, as we read through the first part of James chapter 3 here you won't see a lot about sanctified speech. (laughs) James is going to reveal to us the awful tendencies of our tongue, (laughs) how terrible it really is. And he doesn't give us really many answers. And yet sometimes it's the hard lessons that bring about the greatest lessons. It's It's the hard things in life things that really hit us in the face uh, that can teach us the greatest lessons sometimes and perhaps this is one of them and so we'd like to think this morning about dynamics of the tongue and we will we will look through verses 1 through 6 and then in a couple of weeks we plan to pick up uh, once again probably in verse 6 and Study through verse 12. Both of these messages will be on the same theme here of dynamics of the tongue. Follow along as I read our text for this morning, James 3, 1 through 6. My brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word the same as a perfect man, and able also to bridle the whole body. Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths, that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. Behold also the ships, which though they be so great, and are driven of fierce winds, yet are they turned about with a very small helm, whithersoever the governor listeth. Even so the tongue is a little member, and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. So is the tongue among our members, that it defileth the whole body, and setteth on fire the course of nature, and it is set on fire of hell. We'll stop there for this morning. Dynamics of the Tongue. In preparation for this message, I read that the average person speaks between 7,000 and 20,000 words each day. And as I I read that, I thought, well, wow, that's quite a spread. (laughs) That's a very wide spread from 7,000 to 20,000. But then as I read a little further, I understood why. It said that, <laughs> it said that women speak 20,000 words a day and men 7,000. And then I understood, right? No, I don't mean to make, make light of that, but that is actually what the article said. And, and, it, and it said it's due to biological differences. <laughs> I thought that was a kind way to put it. Due to biological differences. Be it as it may, however many words that might be, 7,000 to 20,000 or anywhere in between, we all have thousands of opportunities daily to encourage, to edify, or to tear down. To honor God or to dishonor God. We have thousands of opportunities each day. Think about it this way. In this past year, in this past year, if someone would have paid you 10 dollars for every kind word you said, but also collected five dollars for every unkind word you say said, would you be rich or poor? You could think about it that way. Would you be rich or poor? for kind words, $5 for unkind words. And there's probably money being exchanged every day. (laughs) Would you be rich or poor? Uh, The fact is, each word we say reveals a little bit more about what's inside. Reveals a little bit more about what's inside of us. Uh, Jesus said, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Or you could say, our mouth is the window of the soul. Or someone else has said, the tongue is the tattletale of the heart. You see, you can't hide what's inside. But it usually comes out through our mouth. It usually comes out on that little thing called the tongue. As we look here into our text... Let me summarize the first two verses of our text in this way, and then we'll look at them just a little bit more in detail. But verse 1, we will give an account for the words that we say. We will give an account for the words that we say. Verse 2, an important gauge of spiritual maturity is our speech. Now, Jim—not uh, <laughs> no, jim James begins by writing here, on this subject, verse 1, and let me read that in the NIV. It, it brings it out much clearer. Verse 1, Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. Now, obviously, teachers spend the majority of their time teaching. Teaching. That means uh, their profession or their livelihood or whatever they do most of is, is spent talking, using words. And James says here, we ought not rush or be hasty to speak the word. We ought not do it without proper consideration because remember that those who speak more Will we judge with stricter judgment? Or he says back in James chapter 1, perhaps a slightly different context, but he says we ought to be slow to speak. And that fits in here very well. Be slow to speak because we will have to give an account one day for the things that we say. And the more we say, the stricter the judgment Jesus spoke about this in Matthew chapter 12. We read about it 36 and 37. But I say unto you that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be con- uh, condemned. Jesus makes it very clear that, that the words that we say influence the future. They have directional power, you could say. The words that we say, by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. And then in our text here, humble James goes on to put himself on our level, as it were, as he writes, In in many ways we offend all, or we all stumble in many ways. Now, I find that reassuring for an apostle like James to just freely admit that. He says, I'm with you. (laughs) I'm on your level. I'm not above you in any way. He he says, I'm I'm one with you in this. We all stumble in many ways. We all live in the flesh. We all have a bent to sin. We all fail in many ways. But then he goes on to say, if any man offends not in word, the same is a perfect man. If any man offend not in word, the same is a perfect man. What is he speaking about there when he says the same is a perfect man? Now I don't believe he's speaking about sinless perfection. Because he just clearly said, we all stumble in many ways. It's something that we all do in the flesh. But I believe he's speaking here about spiritual maturity. If any man offends not in word, if if you are able to control your tongue, if you are able to consistently control your tongue, that shows you are a person of spiritual maturity. And he goes on to say, if you can, can control your tongue, then you can control your whole body. Once again... Uh, An important gauge of spiritual maturity is our speech. A person that can tame his tongue... ...can keep his whole body in check. You know, it's one of these deals where... ...if you can do this, then you can do this. Or, if you can do the hard things in life... ...then you can certainly do these many things. Or take, for example... A marathon runner has no problem running around his house. You get the point. Or uh, a world-class chef doesn't sweat over scrambling eggs. You know, that type of thing. And James here says, A person that can control his tongue is in control of his body. He, He has mastered the hard things. Therefore, he can do the other things. Speaking of the seriousness of the tongue... <laughs> the tremendous weight and power that is associated with that little part of the body. James goes on then to give some very vivid and perhaps shocking descriptions of the tongue. And for the sake of this message, I'm calling them dynamics, dynamics of the tongue, because it reminds us, among other things, of the tremendous power. That is associated with the tongue. Dynamics. The tongue is dynamic. (laughs) That that word dynamic. Is a similar word to dynamite. In fact they both come from the the same root word. Dunamis. Speaks of power. Explosive force. Dynamic. And so we're thinking of dynamics of the tongue. Powerful. Powerful parts of the tongue you could say. First of all we note that the tongue directs. Verses 3 through 5, the tongue directs. Now, in these three verses, 3, 4, and 5, we note three small things that have tremendous power. In fact, in these three verses, three times we have the words little and great. Uh, Two times in verse, uh, actually one time in verse 4, And two times in verse 5. Little things that do great things. We have the bit that goes in the mouth of a horse. And we have the rudder that is a small piece on the back of a ship. And then we also have a spark. Now the bit and the rudder, I'm going to say they had to do with directional power directional power and the spark we're going to think about that this morning in light of its influential power note here in verses three and four he begins the same way with the word behold or in other words wake up take note this is important look he says behold and then in verse 3, he speaks about the bit. Now, the, once, once again, I, and, and I thought about bringing a bit along. I, I don't have a bit, and uh, there's probably one somewhere around in a barn somewhere, but I didn't have access to one. But a bit is, is a small metal piece that you put in the mouth of a horse. And you can use that bit to direct that very large horse. Take, for example, a Clydesdale draft horse. Huge horse. Uh, They can be up to six feet tall and weigh around 2,000 pounds. And that that horse can pull by itself uh, around 8,000 pounds. And yet, that huge horse that is just loaded with muscle can also run a mile in less than two minutes. (laughs) Talk about Brute strength and raw power, those, those big horses. And uh, one of the things that we enjoyed doing years ago was a few times we went down to Denton, North Carolina, uh, to the old Threshers reunion they have down there. And I enjoyed watching the horse pulls, the draft horse pulls, amazing show of strength. And, and how those teams of horses would operate just so smoothly, and, and, and how when that, whatever the, the alarm went off, whatever how they would squat down and, and just pull that, uh, that sled. It was, it was beautiful. A real show of strength and power. But here, James uses this as an illustration, though, of even, even when we think of how big and strong and amazing those creatures are, yet you can control it with a little piece of metal in its mouth. (laughs) You can control it. A small thing that controls a very large thing. And then in verse 4, we have the illustration of the rudder. Once again, it's a very small piece of metal, typically, that controls or directs a ship. Now, I was reading about the, the Titanic, and there's been many ships since then and, and much larger. But, but in, in reading about the Titanic, I read that the Titanic's rudder was 15 feet and 3 inches long. And you might think, well, that's huge. That's a, that's a very large piece of metal. But you must realize that the ship itself was 883 feet long. Okay, so that means that that rudder was less than 2% of the overall length of the ship. Now, when you think about it in that perspective, (laughs) that's a very, very small rudder. And yet, that rudder could dictate the movement and direction of that ship. That small piece of metal could completely dictate its direction. We're talking about very small things uh, that have the power To direct very large, very great things. And then James writes, Even so the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Or in a similar way, our little tongues have tremendous power to direct our lives and also direct the lives of others. A very small thing that has tremendous power. Now, tied in closely with this is the influential power of the tongue. We read in the last part of verse 5 Behold, once again, take note, wake up, listen, don't sleep through this Bible study. <laughs> Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. Or as the, song's, as the song goes, it only takes a spark to get a fire going. Behold, how great a matter a little fire can look. You see, one of, the, one of the uniquely powerful characteristics about a fire is that it spreads. It grows. It multiplies. Now, that's very, un, that's very unlike some other things. This is, take, for example, if, if, I would, if I would spill this cup of water right here, I wouldn't get more water. <laughs> I mean I, when you spill water on the table during a nice meal it feels like all of a sudden you have a lot of water going everywhere doesn't it but but the water has not multiplied it's just come out of its intended place but there's still the same amount of water however when you light a spark it doesn't usually just stay a spark but it moves it grows. It spreads. And in just a little bit of time, you have it ignites into a flame. And then that flame to another flame. And then another flame. And then there's a bunch of flames. And in a little bit of time, that, that fire has spread and multiplied and, and grown. And as long as there's more fuel and more oxygen, it continues to go. It continues to go if it's not checked. And you end up with much more than what you started with. Which can make it very difficult to, to contain, or make it very difficult, to, to rein back in, because it continues to go. You know, the words that we speak don't just stay with us. But the words that we speak, they spread. they impact others. They influence those around us in very significant ways. In Proverbs, the book of Proverbs, we we read much about the tongue, about the mouth, about our speech. It's very fascinating just to read through Proverbs and note all the wisdom in relation to our mouth. But Proverbs 15 verse 1 reads this way. A soft answer turneth away wrath, but grievous words stir up anger. Or we could say a soft response... Causes a person to cool down. Whereas heated words, heated words, hot words, <laughs> create a reaction. They cause people around to, to get hot under the collar, <laughs> like it's been said, hot under the collar. That's the influential power of the tongue. Children, here's a little, a short little poem. For y'all to think about. It's good for all of us to think about. But it sort of fits into the children family category. It helps remind us of the importance of what we say. And how what we say can influence those around us. Especially our younger brothers and sisters. I lost a very little word only the other day. It was a truly naughty word. I had not meant to say. But then it was not really lost when from my mouth it flew. My little brother picked it up and now he says it too. That's a sobering thought, isn't it? It's a little bit funny, but it's, it's not funny to daddy and mommy. <laughs> oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. There's a father up above and he's looking down in love. Oh, be careful, little mouth, what you say. Our tongues have great influential power. Proverbs 18.21 says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue. May God help us to use our tongues to direct others in the way of life and not death. And so the first dynamic of the tongue is that it directs. Secondly here, the tongue destroys. The tongue destroys. Verse 6 And the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a fire. Now we saw that the tongue has directional power. And the tongue has influential power. And in this dynamic we note very clearly that the tongue has destructive power. Now, back in James' day, there were few things that brought about as much fear and as much destruction as fire. Fire. Now think about it for a moment. Fire is very fearful and destructive today as well. But, but we have much equipment that we can deal with fire. And, and yet it still gets out of hand, I understand. But think back to James's day. When a fire broke out, what did you have? Well, for the most part, you had buckets of water and people. Now, there might have been some bigger buckets of water, perhaps, but but there wasn't a lot to do. And if the fire grew bigger and bigger, it got to the point where you just had to stand back and watch. There was nothing you could do. Fire was a very fearful thing. And sometimes the fire just went until it burned out because there was little that could be done. And so you think about that in in his day, the destructive power of a fire. You know, perhaps in our day, we could say it's something like an atomic bomb, where once that thing explodes, there's nothing you can do. Tremendous destructive power. You just stand back and watch. Destructive power. I note here that James says the tongue is a fire. He doesn't say the tongue is kind of like a fire. But we actually read the tongue is a fire. Think about fire for a bit. Fire is destructive by nature. Even when a fire is started intentionally and when you're going to keep an eye on it, And when it's even used for good, fire still scorches and fire burns and fire destroys and fire blackens. (laughs) Fire never leaves a pretty picture. It never leaves a pleasant smell. Fire always destroys. That's the nature of fire. And depending on what is burned, take for example a beautiful forest. It may take years for that to come back, to be fully restored. And yet, even then, there will probably be scars that you'll see in an old forest. Maybe a fire went through 50 years ago, and you might still see black stumps or black streaks on some old trees or something like that. There's still scars. Are you seeing the comparison? We're talking really about the tongue. The fire is just an illustration. Proverbs 16, verse 27 says, An ungodly man diggeth up evil, and in his lips there is as a burning fire. The carnal tongue, it's a terrible thing. It's hot, it's loud, it's destructive. You could say the carnal tongue is 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 sort of like, well, it's a fire, James said. And what were fires back in the olden days? Well, they were like mass destruction or that atomic bomb. It's a weapon of mass destruction. And James is saying, the tongue is too. The tongue is a weapon of mass destruction. It tears down people. It burns up relationships. It rips apart churches. It kills the joy in homes. And all the while, it it often leaves lasting Emotional scars and wounds. I quote A talkative woman once tried to justify the quickness of her own tongue by saying, Oh, it passes, it is done with quickly. To which the famous evangelist Billy Sunday replied, So does a shotgun blast. <laughs> The writer goes on to say, and such is the action of a quick tongue that it also leaves destruction in its wake. Yes, the carnal tongue destroys. But Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, a wholesome tongue is a tree of life. A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. (laughs) That's a beautiful picture. It's a beautiful picture. And so the tongue directs, and the tongue destroys. And we'll note yet this morning that the tongue is depraved. The tongue is depraved. Or the tongue is marked by evil. Verse 6 says, the tongue is a world of iniquity. One writer put it this way, the tongue is a heap of mischief. (laughs) You've heard before uh, uh, about a little boy And maybe he did something bad and and someone said, boy, you are in a world of trouble. (laughs) Well, someone said, the tongue is like a heap of mischief. But it's it's more than that. It's much more than that. I'd like to read here what uh, the commentator Albert Barnes had to write about this little phrase, a world of iniquity. It speaks about the tongue being depraved. The tongue is a little world of evil in itself. When the tongue is spoken of as being a world of iniquity, it is meant that all kinds of evil that are in the world are exhibited there in miniature. It seems to concentrate all sorts of iniquity that exist on the earth. And what evil is there which may not be originated or fomented by the tongue? What else is there that might, with so much propriety, be represented as a little world of iniquity? "...with all the good which it does, who can estimate the amount of evil which it causes? Who can measure the evils which arise from scandal and slander and profaneness and perjury and falsehood and blasphemy and obscenity by the tongue? Who can gauge the amount of broils and contentions and strifes and wars and suspicions and enmities and alienations among friends and neighbors which it produces?" Who can number the evils produced by the sweetened words of the seducer? Or by the tongue of the eloquent in the maintenance of error and the defense of wrong? And he goes on to say, If all men were dumb, meaning that if they couldn't speak, what a portion of the crimes of the world would soon cease. If all men would speak only that which ought to be spoken, What a change would come over the face of human affairs. James says that not only is the tongue a fire, but the tongue is a world of iniquity. The tongue is depraved. And as we consider this dynamic of the tongue, I call to your attention the last phrase of verse 6. The last phrase of verse 6. Now, whenever there's a, a fire, whenever there's a forest fire or a house fire or any kind of suspicious kind of fire, one of the things that we try to figure out is where did it start? Who started it? What is the cause? What is the source? James writes that the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity, and then he makes it very clear where it started. He says, it is set on fire of hell. It is set on fire of hell. <laughs> you know, James doesn't, doesn't spare any words here. Once again, just because the Apostle James was the half-brother of Jesus and just because he was known to be humble and kind and thoughtful and looked up to (laughs) doesn't mean that he beat around the bush or that he tiptoed around difficult situations. Not at all, but we know from our study already that, that James wasn't afraid to cut right to the chase. And the language that he uses... In this verse in particular certainly makes us sit up and take notice. This is no little subject. This is no small thing. But James writes that our tongue is set on fire of hell. He is effectively stating that the fire we start. What am I saying here? The fire that is in our tongue, I'll put it this way, he's effectively stating that the fire that is in our tongue has actually been borrowed from hell. Or the heat and the corruption and the destruction that is a part of the tongue, that is a part of the the carnal tongue, comes straight out of hell. Now, if this doesn't make you think twice before you speak... (laughs) I don't know what will. It's that serious. Do you want that to be said about your speech? Do you want that to be said about your tongue? Now, as I've studied this passage, as I've looked at this phrase, it appears to me that James had a very specific picture in his mind. As he was writing this, let's think about it. The word hell here. He says, the tongue is set on fire of hell. The word for hell here in this phrase is Gehenna. It's the Greek form of the Hebrew word which means the valley of Hinnom. Or we could say uh, the valley of Gehenna. Let me just read here what one person wrote about this valley of Gehenna. The valley of Gehenna lies just southwest of the walls of Jerusalem. For centuries, the valley, which is basically a deep gorge, was used as a landfill, a place where trash was dumped, along with the carcasses of dead animals, and also the bodies of executed criminals. A fire was kept burning in that valley to destroy the rubbish and filth. It was a place of filth, of rotting, Burning garbage, maggots, and the constant burning flames. It was the city dump. It stank. It was awful. In fact, one writer wrote that were it not for the kindness of Nicodemus in taking Jesus' body and giving him his tomb, that's where Jesus' body would have been destined to go. There in the valley of Gehenna. And that is the picture, perhaps, that is in the mind of James as he is writing this. He says, the tongue is a fire. It's a world of iniquity. And it is set on fire of hell. Or it is set on fire of Gehenna. Dear people, nothing good comes from hell. <laughs> nothing good. But instead, it's, it's full of evil. It's full of suffering. It's full of destruction. That's what we know of hell. The wording he uses here implies a, a continual state of being. He says, It is set on fire. It's an ongoing thing. It is set on fire. You know, and as long as we are in this old body, we will struggle with the flesh. We will struggle with that old tongue. And, and we must struggle. As Christians, we must continue to fight it. But remember that the answer and the victory is not found in in our own efforts. Not at all. You try to tame your tongue on your own and you will fail. And perhaps you've tried that before. I have. I'm going to do better in that way. You remember what Brother Donnie said a few weeks ago about him and some other boys when they were younger? They tried to tame their tongue. What did they end up with? Just a bunch of black and blue marks, I think. (laughs) It didn't work. They finally had to get to the root of the matter. And, and, you know, we try to tame our tongue. I'm going to do better. Oh, I need to stop saying that. And we just can't do it. We can't do it. In fact, verse 8 here says, But the tongue can no man tame but that phrase is not meant to sound as hopeless as it looks. (laughs) No, because as I look at it, shining through that bleak phrase of the tongue can no man tame, we see the answer for our terrible tongue. No, no man can tame it, but God can. God can tame our tongue. With the aid of the Holy Spirit, we can have a tongue that is controlled, And a tongue that speaks life. Praise the Lord. The Apostle Paul says, Thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And so, when it comes to taming the tongue, the Christian's resolve must be, not I, but Christ in me. God, you have to help me. I can't do this. I've tried many times. I need your help, Lord, to control my tongue because I can't. Someone has said, just as temptation often enters the body through the eyes, sin often exits the body through the mouth. You know, as I think about this this thing of the tongue, when it comes to sinning with our tongue, I'll I'll freely confess that I am just as guilty as anyone in this room. I certainly don't have it mastered. And yet it is my desire, personally, that, that God would do similar to what he did to the prophet Isaiah. We read about it in Isaiah chapter 6. Where the prophet Isaiah said, said my, my mouth is defiled. I don't have pure lips. And God put that purging hot coal on Isaiah's lips. And he cleansed him. And he made him fit to be useful. And that's my desire personally. That God would, would, would put that purging hot coal on my lips. Would cleanse me. Make me useful. Uh, and, 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 and give me words that speak life into the everyday life. Circumstances of life, words that speak life. Well, well, we'll stop here for this morning. I'm actually getting done before 12 o'clock. You like that? <laughs> but I am scheduled to preach again on uh, Easter Sunday. And so we're not done here with the dynamics of the tongue. And so I'm looking forward to getting back in, we'll start at verse 6 again, and we'll look through verse 12 on some more dynamics of the tongue uh, on Easter Sunday in the context of the power of the resurrection. That's beautiful. That's what it's all about. That's, That's where we get our power for living the victorious Christian life because of Christ's death and resurrection. As we close here this morning, may this be our prayer. Psalm 19, verse 14. Let the words of my mouth By the way, let's let's all turn there. Let's all turn there and let's read it together. Let's do it that way. You you probably know the the short verse somewhat, but let's read it together as as we close this morning. Psalm 19 and verse 14. Okay, everyone together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And in that little verse, it, it, it clarifies various things. There's a, a direct connection between the mouth and the heart. And it also makes it clear that we need the strength of God to do it. We can't do it ourselves. We need God. And so may this be a challenge to each of us as we go about, um, as we go about our daily responsibilities. You know, sometimes it's, we find it perhaps not too difficult to control that tongue in certain settings, but we go back home and, well, then we have a job to do, don't we? Sometimes those, those normal places of life test us the most. May God give us strength to speak words that are pleasing in His sight. We'll call for a song.